Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of uh, SFP Now on Sci-Fi Pulse Radio. Um, today we have a um, writer-director, John Silverberg, who um, about a couple of years ago uh, made a film called Woodland, which um, won quite a few awards. starred um, our good friend Philip Granger and it also starred um, Richard Harmon from, from The 100. Um, That's right, we got Richard Harmon, uh, Philip Granger, uh, Frank C. Turner, Catherine Jack... And Amanda Tapping. Sorry, wonderful cast. Yeah. Was, was Amanda Tapping on the radio? That's right. She was. Yeah, she did I a voice, uh, I voice role it. for us. I thought I recognised the voice. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, anyway, John, it's great to have you on the show. Um, and uh, we've got a few questions uh, for you about Woodland, as well as, um, as well as a couple of general questions. And I think I might get started with... Um, you know, what was it that actually sparked your interest in writing, writing and directing and making films? Oh, wow. Well, that, uh, well, first of all, thanks again for, for having me and a uh, pleasure to be chatting with you. I think uh, as far back as I can remember, you know, I wanted to make films, uh, grew up obsessed uh, with films. Uh, my first um, kind of theatrical experience that I can really remember is uh, seeing uh, Tim Burton's Batman in the drive-in. Um, when it came out. Um, so I would have been about six years old. Uh, and that was a pretty seminal experience. And then seeing, uh, seeing Jurassic Park in the theater a few years later uh, with my dad's my first late night show in the movie theater, uh, you know, scared the heck out of me. And I think uh, those two films, along with the fact that my dad, you know, was always playing films. He had a massive uh, film collection when I was growing up. I was always drawn to it and always drawn to the storytelling and I've always been a very visual person, visual artist, and uh, um, I also started uh, doing film photography when I was really young. I had a dark room in my house, actually. My dad uh, used to uh, develop his own prints, and uh, I used to get in there with him. I loved the smell of those, you know, the old film chemicals, and it was mm-hmm. just addictive. And the fact that you would just kind of see this blank piece of paper, and all of a sudden, you know, through the magic of the the photochemical process, kind of a story would reveal itself. You know, these, these images would reveal themselves. And um, that was so fascinating. So I think I, I've always, you know, wanted to make films and, uh, and, and you know, be part of that world. Mm-hmm. And then also just the, the uh, you know, the, the film photography element, I feel like, you know, I've always wanted to tell a story that involved that as well. So it's kind of uh, set me on the road to, to Woodland. It was pretty cool how you mentioned uh, Tim Burton's Batman there because um, I remember where I was when when that premiered. I was actually on holiday in Minehead, okay. which is <laughs> which is south, is kind of near to Devon. It's cider country. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> um, and um, doesn't, doesn't 
not too familiar, but I'll take your word for it. And and I went I went for a little walk down to, down down to the cinema that was there, a very small cinema. That's where where I went to see uh see see Batman. Um, and I just remember it sticks in mind because it was one of the last holidays I had with mum and dad. Oh, is so, that right? <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, it was it was shortly it. before my I grew up in Montreal, Quebec, and my my family actually moved out west. Uh, about as far west as we could have moved out to uh, Vancouver Island, uh, just uh, on the west coast of British Columbia here. So that was kind of one of my last real memories of, of being in Montreal as well. <laughs> Another reason why it sticks with me, I guess. Mm. As a director, it looks like you've done a range of work from documentary style filmmaking to scripted drama. Uh, do you have a particular preference in regard to the type of work you like to do? Uh, I think I, I like to tell stories, and I think it's been... Uh, you know, over the years, I've done a variety of work, and it's always been, you know, kind of sharpening another tool in the kit. But ultimately, it's been leading me um, to where I am now, which is, I think, the type of film that Woodland is, which is kind of a dark, uh, you know, thriller, psychological thriller with some horror, some supernatural elements, some, some of those kind of darker undertones. I feel like that's the kind of story that I gravitate to, and, you know, some of my favorite films. Um, that have kind of inspired Woodland in a way, I would say are all kind of in that same vein as well. Um, so I'm not sure why I tend to gravitate towards that darker place. I did, you know, I did some comedy uh, shorts kind of earlier in my career, uh, a real range of stuff, but I feel like I always come back to this, uh, this these genres and this kind of tone um, because it just, it's what sticks with me. Uh, with the films that I watch, that I enjoy, and even in my own writing, even if I know, well, that script, it's not quite there yet, or that dialogue, it's not quite there yet, but there's something about it that kind of haunts me, that keeps bringing me back. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if, if it keeps bringing me back as a writer, then hopefully uh, as a viewer, uh, you know, making the kind of movie that I would want to see, <laughs> hopefully that's a good sign, and, and I should pursue that. So that was definitely something I found uh, while writing Woodland. I started writing about six years ago, uh, spent about three and a half years straight just uh, developing the characters, writing and rewriting the script uh, but before we actually shot. And it was really, uh, yeah, that, uh, those darker elements that uh, kept me coming back to that world. I wanted to spend more time there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, um, we, we've mentioned it a couple of times already, but one of the bigger things you've done um, in recent years is the movie Woodland, which stars Richard Harmon uh, from The 100, um, and our mutual friend, uh, Philip Granger, who's kind of been, been in just about pretty much everything. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right he's got quite a few credits <laughs> well you know i i remember him from a from an old 80s show called neon rider um that's right but, but since then i've actually backtracked and seen his guest appearance in chips <laughs> when he was a mm -hmm. kid yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's, he's, he pops up everywhere <laughs> yeah you know he's, he's he's kind of like uh you know a scarlet pimpernanga film i guess <laughs> Um, <laughs> he's going oh, to king us <laughs> uh, where, where, where did the idea for Woodland come from and uh, how, how did you actually manage to get um, so, you know, such a talent as Richard Harm and Philip Granger and you also got Amanda Tapping to do some, some, some radio work for you as well that's right yeah I mean we've been, we've been so lucky uh, with the cast that we've been able to put together and you know, I'll start with kind of the inspiration for the film. I mentioned, you know, I grew up developing photos in the darkroom, and that was always a fascinating thing. 
to me in that, you know, in some cases, when, when you're developing that image, you don't know what's going to come through if, if you don't know exactly what frame you're developing, or especially if you didn't shoot the film and you're developing, uh, you know, somebody else's shots. Um, so that was always so interesting and, and, you know, wanted to kind of frame that in some kind of a dark room thriller story that's something that i kind of had the back of my mind for a while um and i also you know grew up here in the pacific northwest uh you know playing in the woods and uh kind of uh, shooting movies uh just just on my own just in my own uh, imagination um every day and i i always found it such a interesting setting because uh, you know it's so uh so beautiful but at the same time, you know, it's very, very haunting. There's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of danger <laughs> that's uh, waiting for you uh, when you, you know, walk off the beaten path and you head into the into the deep, uh, dark woods. And so uh, it was always just a, a fascination of mine, the types of uh, types of things, um, types of stories that, that could be told and uh, certainly, uh, you know, what... Uh, prehistoric creatures might be lurking in these uh, these uncharted woods and uh, you know uh, things like that uh, coming to mind so um, I think everything I've ever written uh, has some element of of being in the woods or you know in some cases taking place entirely in the outdoors which which woodland uh, pretty much does so they say uh, you know especially on a lower budget don't shoot outdoors because you're exposed to the elements. <laughs> Uh, especially, you know, at night, we shot a lot of scenes at night. So it wasn't an easy film to shoot, but uh, I love that setting. And mm-hmm. so I think it was inevitable uh, that the film would would uh, really take place in that setting and, and really celebrate it. Um, but, uh, you know, the other thing is that um, if you're looking to kind of get away from it all, and this is kind of a thing about these remote lodges, um, you know, I did some um, shooting of some outdoor shows up and down the West Coast, of BC and you know visited some of these types of lodges and and you know met these types of characters and it was really you'd get you know people that were really thriving in the outdoors and were were really loving you know being off the grid and self sufficient and then you'd get these kind of characters that were that were kind of getting away from something and they were they were not necessarily there uh, you know to uh, to thrive uh, they were. You know, they weren't able to to function necessarily, you know, in uh, in the city and they were kind of escaping. And, you know, one of the themes of the film is, you know, no matter how far you go, you can't really outrun uh, your demons. And mm-hmm. so that's a, a little bit of uh, what happens to our, our lead character of, uh, of Richard Harmon. Um, and, yeah, amazing uh, to work with this cast, uh, Richard. Uh, most people know him from uh, from CW's uh, The Hundred. Um I wasn't actually familiar with him when I was writing the film. Um, the character originally was a bit older. I had some other potential actors in mind. I didn't know necessarily who would play the role. Uh, and as I'm doing kind of final rewrites on it, and I'm, I, I've decided to make the character just a little bit younger, I'm now thinking, oh, I have to look at a whole new pool of actors. And my wife was binge-watching The 100 at the time. And she said, you have to look at this guy, Richard Arman. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I'd, I'd known his dad. His family is kind of a film royalty here in, in Vancouver. Uh, they're all wonderful and, uh, and very talented in their own rights. Um, but Richard, as soon as I saw him, I thought, oh, this guy's so interesting. And uh, he's got such an interesting look. He's got so much intensity and kind of ferocity in his uh, performance there. Um, and, 
and, and also, you know, this incredible kind of confidence and, and swagger. And, uh, um, you know, I, I uh, sent him the script. Um, we, you know, we sat down for a cup of coffee. And I think within the first 10 seconds, he said, I'll do it. And uh, we just needed to talk a bit about the character, talk a bit about kind of the perspective of it. And uh, we were really on the same page. And, you know, he's not only the lead in the film, he's also an executive producer. And he's just been uh, amazingly supportive through the whole process. And it's been a, it's been a beautiful uh, collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, as, far as, as far as Phil Granger, I actually wrote the opposite of <laughs> Richard's story. I actually wrote the part of Sparky, uh, in Woodland, um, specifically for Philip Granger. Um, he's another actor that I've known from the Vancouver scene. Um, obviously, as we've touched on, he's got uh, you know a never-ending uh, resume. He's uh, been in so many films and, and TV series over the years. Um, but uh, I just found um, he had this this really warm quality that really lent itself to the character and his voice. I could listen to him you know, read the phone book. Um, (laughs) He's he's just got the the most incredible voice and I love listening to him and I love writing dialogue for him. And I just found that as I was writing, I couldn't picture anyone else playing this role. (laughs) It had to be Phil. Uh, And luckily I knew him and luckily he also liked the script. He liked the character and the dynamic between him and and Richard's uh, younger uh, Watchmen character who kind of comes up um, and invades his space as they're forced to work together in this isolated uh, situation uh, in the off season at this this wilderness lodge. Um, so putting those two together was fascinating too. They hadn't worked together. They hadn't even met actually when we did our first table read, and it was just instant chemistry. It was a beautiful thing to watch. Mm. Yeah, I remember when um, you know I interviewed uh, Philip. Um, I think he'd, I think he just he'd not long since finished shooting the film with you uh, when when mm-hmm. I spoke to him back in. Must have been 2017 now, and um, you know he he was full of beans about working with Richard Harm, and he, he, he just uh, he couldn't he, you know he, he couldn't have said a nasty thing about him. He was he was absolutely really complimentary about about, about, about the experience of working with him and working on working on the film, as he should be in a public forum. <laughs> no, I didn't get I didn't get the impression that I, that day that he was being bribed or anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's true. Those two have uh, have gotten so close uh, from working together. And again, I forget that they had never even met, um, you know, before we made the film. But uh, they have such a strong friendship now and, and respect for each other's work. And so that, that's a beautiful thing to, to see that uh, evolve. And I should say, Amanda Tapping, um, I, I worked with her. Um, she was actually consulting as part of a or kind of mentoring i should say as part of a a local film competition that we were involved in and we were producing it was just a short film uh but uh it was amazing to meet her and i just found that she had you know uh, incredibly professional of course uh, but just the warmest presence she also just had this this wonderful voice and just this incredibly warm presence and uh you know, as I'm casting kind of the the remaining roles in the film, I'm looking for this character whose voice only we we don't actually see her, uh, and her character is is kind of Sparky's crush, right? It's Phil Granger's character. He's he's uh, you know isolated at this lodge basically for uh, for the off season. There's nobody around, but he can communicate by radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he communicates by marine radio to kind of the lodge headquarters 
the film is, is set in Haida Gwaii, which is an island just off the west coast of, of BC, and he's speaking with the headquarters in Alaska. And it's kind of his only lifeline. Um, but it's this very, it's also this sweet kind of, uh, uh, you know, crush <laughs> that he has. Uh, and so I thought, you know, who better uh, to voice that role but Amanda Tapping? And, and uh, you know, she was so gracious to come on board. I didn't even expect her to necessarily read the script. I thought maybe she would just say, oh, you know, send me some sides. But she read everything. She got it. Um, she loved the, the story. And, and again, that sweet relationship between uh, her character, Donna, and uh, Phil's character, uh, Sparky, and uh, had an amazing time working with her in the studio. I even played Sparky for a couple of takes. You know, we improvised a few things, and uh, it was just so much fun. Uh, to see what what she brought to it and that extra dimension she kind of brings to to Phil's character as a result. Of course, I mean, uh, Manda Tapping's gone more over to producing and directing now. Um, as in, that's you right. don't really see her in many films or TV shows anymore. Yeah, that's right. I know she had a recurring role in uh, in Travelers on Netflix, which she was also directing. Uh, but yeah, she has become uh, a very prolific uh, producer and director in her own right. So again, I was grateful that uh, she was uh, willing to step back into her uh, her acting uh, uh, boots there for for Woodland. Mm-hmm. Um, quite a few. Um, I'm going to stay on Woodland for a little while um, at a moment, uh, but quite a few of the visuals in Woodland are absolutely fantastic to look at. Um, I really like the shot that you, you you had you had it repeat a few times of the full moon against the purple looking sky and clouds, uh, which mm. you later use in a shot where where the tree and then Jake appear to kind of levitate. Um, and it's all part of this dream sequence. Uh, how, how did you guys actually achieve that? Because it actually looked really cool. I like that. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, when I when I used to shoot, um, you know, these outdoor shows, being these remote locations, I've heard it's I've heard it's uh, you know the change in oxygen uh, when you're at different elevations. I don't know, but I've always found I've had extremely uh, vivid uh, dreams. Uh, and so that was one thing that I wanted to uh, kind of fold into the story as, as Jake, as Richard's character, is kind of thrust into this this new world, this kind of strange uh, new world. And so he has these recurring dreams that kind of get increasingly uh, bizarre. Um, and uh, and yeah, it was those were not easy to shoot, uh, to be honest, on a, on a limited budget, you know, limited lighting kit. We're kind of replicating the moonlight. Um, with, uh, you know, just a, a couple of lights and, uh, you know, we had, uh, we had snow actually while we were filming those dream sequences. It was, uh, it was pretty cold <laughs> where we were filming. So logistically, um, it wasn't comfortable being out there on the, on this beach, um, you know, at, uh, 11 o'clock at night when it's, when it's snowing. But, uh, but yeah, we had, um, you know, this amazing location, um, which is, uh, called Hidden Cove Lodge, which is in Port McNeil, Vancouver Island. And uh, we were really just trying to capture the simplicity of the the place. It was just so beautiful, you know, everywhere we pointed the camera. Uh, but in this case, for the dream sequences, um, we ended up having to do a sky replacement. Um, so quite a bit of visual effects involved um, to kind of in, enhance that that surreal um, kind of night sky. Um, but, uh, but yeah, otherwise, uh, I would say it was just a bit of uh, classic, um, kind of film trickery, 
um, you know, shooting all those elements of, of Richard um, kind of uh, levitating, as you said, um, practically. Uh, we shot as much as we could um, practically and, uh, you know, literally had some people kind of lifting him up and then through the, <laughs> the magic of uh, editing and, and visual effects, we're able to kind of combine those, those different layers uh, with, with the, the night sky that you referenced with the beautiful full moon there, um, kind of in post to, to create that, that effect. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot of fun to see that. <laughs> it, it was completed. It, it was quite fun to to watch it because you, it, the first thing you see in Levitate is a tree, and then Richard. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and and then all of a sudden he wakes up, and I'm thinking, damn, I wanted to see more of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did our job then. <laughs> um, I mean, I loved I loved the lodge where 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 they stayed. Um, you know, it kind of looked like a place where I'd be quite at home because you know I, I personally don't like having neighbours that that are sort of like right next to me. You know, and <laughs> having neighbours a good four hundred yards away would be fine. <laughs> but, um, I'm I'm just yeah. wondering. It's, he, he says in the film. Um, I think he's he's narrating about the uh, the wildlife and all, all the uh, all, all the spooky things that had been happening on the island and stuff like that. That's and, right. And he That's says right. something about the lodge being built in 1914. Is that true? Uh, well, the lodge itself is is quite old, but uh, the uh, narration's definitely written by me. It's all fictional. Um, you know, in, in the film itself. Um, you know, we're in a place called Quina Sound. Uh, that doesn't exist. So that's also a fictional place. Um, where we are is in kind of a, a semi-fictionalized um, area of Haida Gwaii, which is, uh, uh, as I said, it's islands uh, off the west coast of BC, uh, beautiful uh, islands and, uh, you know, very pristine, not a lot of population, um, we filmed uh, on Vancouver Island, kind of in place of Haida Gwaii, because a little more affordable for us to get to. And Vancouver Island is where I grew up as well, so it's, it was a little bit like getting getting back to home. Um, but we shot on the very northern tip of the island. You'd be very happy there because there's not a lot of people. <laughs> it's very low uh, population, um, you know, very very rugged landscapes, and it's actually um, on the northeast coast of the island is where we shot, which is a, uh, there's actually an archipelago uh, there. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, amazing uh, diversity of, of wildlife. Um, and again, very dense and, and kind of rugged uh, landscapes and, uh, you know, a beautiful, beautiful place, but uh, not necessarily easy to get to and not a lot of infrastructure for film either so we had, we had to bring everything with us to make sure that we could actually pull it off um how, how would the locals um you know given that you use bringing a film crew into the into the area you know you know were they, were they uh were they welcoming to you they were absolutely welcoming the the locals there were incredibly nice um, again, we, we filmed at uh, Hidden Cove Lodge, if anybody's looking to take a vacation. Uh, Hidden Cove Lodge in Port McNeil, um, now taking reservations. Um, it's an ecotourism uh, lodge and uh, just a absolutely beautiful place. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's, uh, I think they don't get a lot of productions up there, but, you know, they, they were very welcoming. And one thing we kept hearing which was kind of funny because we were in 
you know, kind of this extreme filming uh, situation with a small crew, you know, in this this rugged territory. We kept hearing, oh, there was a film crew just here a few months ago. It was uh, the show Alone, uh, which uh, oh. is, you know, uh, all about people being isolated by themselves in the woods, basically a survival show, uh, which is very big in the U.S., and uh, they, they drop people, you know, in the middle of nowhere. They actually film their own experience. And when they've had enough, they can't take it anymore. They tap out. And, you know, a helicopter comes in to pick them up. So it's all to see how long people can last and, and kind of uh, be self-sufficient on their own in the wild. And I, I thought it was very funny that they had just filmed this, you know, extreme survival show <laughs> right where we were, uh, you know, just this, this happy little film crew. That's kind shooting, of funny. Uh, shooting our story <laughs> it's kind of funny you mentioned that because um i watch um every now and again there's, there's a show that i'm watching on uh on on sky history which is based in our version the history channel and mm-hmm. uh they've just started showing alone there's adverts okay. coming, there's adverts coming up for it every week it's only just started here and oh that's absolutely it yeah so difference every season takes place in a different setting but i believe it was either the first or second season uh, they shot literally right around the corner from where we filmed Woodland, so <laughs> and we uh, and we all made it back alive. So yeah, well, aside from Tim Burton, um, what other filmmakers would you say have um, been been of inspiration to you? Mm. Well, that's a uh, that's a, a complicated question, and I got a lot of answers. Um, not to, not to compare my film by any means, but uh, I definitely. Um, feel most inspired, I think, um, these days, um, by, um, the work of, uh, Stanley Kubrick's mm-hmm. always been my, my number one favorite, uh, and David Lynch as well. Um, uh, big fan of his work. I feel like I've drawn from both of those sides, um, more than, you know, any other, uh, filmmakers, uh, when making Woodland. Um, and, uh, you know, not, not to compare myself, but I think, uh, similar some similar styles in 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 the filmmaking and you know how the story's told and and how it's shot um you know i love um i love bold filmmaking i love you know visual filmmaking there's a lot of sequences in this film that have no dialogue at all um that's all you know based on visual storytelling which i'm a big fan of um and i'm also a fan of you know not kind of spoon feeding i like the story to uh you know, unfold from a character-driven perspective. Mm-hmm. I love character studies. Um, and um, I also like for for the audience to kind of um, make some decisions for themselves along the way. You know, there's some some elements in Woodland I don't want to give, you know, too much away for, for spoilers. But uh, there's uh, certain things which could very easily be spoken about out loud. And uh, I tried very hard to not do that. You know, how, how much could we leave this up to the audience's kind of interpretation? Um, and, uh, you know, I was talking about Kubrick, just thinking back to The Shining, which was definitely a big inspiration, um, and the use of the unreliable narrator uh, as kind of the, uh, the, the lead in the film and as kind of a key uh, storytelling device. And I've always loved that as well. Um, another... Uh, maybe some other kind of random film references uh, while I was making Woodland would be like Memento, uh, Donnie Darko, mm-hmm. um, 
both films that again have a very unreliable narrator and i've always been really fascinated by that you go on this journey um and then maybe you get to the end and you know you realize that uh, maybe there was more than one perspective or that the perspective you were given you know while you're watching wasn't necessarily totally accurate and uh, i like the fact that it's not you know conclusive in, in those films you know there's there's debates going on to this day, you know, Inception is another one that I can think of, you know, people are still, you know, writing uh, university uh, dissertations on, uh, you know, how, how they think that that film ended. And I love the fact that there's conversation after the film is over. So I think with all of those inspirations that I've had uh, trying to, uh, you know, incorporate that into or some of those elements into, into my first feature, um, hopefully I've been able to do that we get to the end of the film, you're satisfied, but maybe you have some questions and maybe you have some uh, some thoughts rolling around in your head yeah. after you watch it. Yeah, it's, it's, Ho hopefully, it's definitely one that that that, that that's actually worth rewatching. You know, that song. I try try and try and view the different perspectives of the characters. Uh, you know, because the uh, the immediate the immediate impression you get of uh, of Sparky and, and Richard when they meet up is a uh, this, this song, like, there seems to be a little bit of hostility coming from Richard, as if he, he doesn't really want to be there. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah. And, and and Sparky's sort of like uh, a little bit sort of like um, not not exactly the warmest, but you know, he's sort of like he's a little bit reticent about about the new guy. He was sort of like, That's he was right. almost like, oh no, they sent me another rookie. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so. So it was it was actually an interesting interesting relationship that developed um, you know be, between between those two characters um, and um, never never actually what never what I'd call boring you know there's always there's always something that you saw like you kind you kind of looking into what was going unsaid as opposed to what, what was actually said. That's right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, which is actually a very clever way of filmmaking it's also a very brave way of filmmaking because uh, a lot of people that go to the cinemas just seem to want to be spoon fed oh absolutely i mean there's 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 all different kinds of films you know for for different uh, different tastes and i i love you know my my share of popcorn films too i think i started the podcast by saying you know tim burton's batman uh, was uh, was one of my seminal film experiences so i always have a, a soft uh, you know place in my heart for those uh, those kind of films but the ones I've returned to and the ones that I that I guess, you know, haunt me the most are, are the ones that, like you say, that let you kind of read into what's not said as much as what is said. And so that's something that I've I've tried to instill in my my short work and um, and definitely in, in, in the future as well. So mm -hmm. another project you worked on um is a five-part series. I think it was five-part series called Android Employed. Uh, now, how do you get that gig? And are androids as tough to work with than children and animals? Would you say <laughs> they're a nightmare? Um, no, that uh, that was a wonderful project to be a part of. Uh, I helped to produce that series, um, which was a uh, kind of a sci-fi comedy uh, web series um, here in Canada. We have a um, uh, telecommunications company here in BC called TELUS um, that have started to produce more and more media content in the last few years. And uh, Android Employed was actually their first kind of uh, scripted uh, series. 
and it was uh, it was created, written, and directed by Jem Gerard, who's uh, who's from London herself. Um, currently works uh, in, in the Vancouver uh, industry, and uh, that was that was really her baby. It was uh, you know originally pitched to me as like you know the Office, but with robots, and I said I'm sold. You know, I'm in. <laughs> How can I work on this project with you? How can I help get this made? Um, so uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, I think it's it's hilarious. It's got quite a bit of you know biting social commentary about uh, you know artificial intelligence uh, becoming more prevalent in our lives, um, you know, for better and for worse. Um, and uh, I thought Jem, you know, just did a brilliant job uh, writing those those stories. It was an anthology series where each episode featured different characters, different location, but all um, kind of having this robot, you know, enter their, their home or their workplace or enter their lives in some way to, to change things. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a blast to, to work on that. I'm just trying to picture, uh, I'm just trying to picture in my head what, what an Android version of Ricky Gervais would be like. <laughs> you'd be, you'd be very sarcastic. Well, that's for he sure. He needs some special programming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it needs to. It needs to. Song I can undergo about a hundred years worth of programming in in irony. <laughs> <laughs> I feel. I feel as though he might not be the robot. He might be the one of the repair guys. That might be more appropriate. But uh, yeah, if he's listening, let's uh, let's let's put something together. <laughs> Um, a film that you... I don't know if you're currently working on it because I don't know how up to date uh, IMDb is sometimes because, you know, an awful lot of the time it can sort of like... Uh, it, it can mm-hmm. throw, throw us off. But there's um, a film there mentioned called The B-Side which sounds rather interesting because it sounds like it's another character exploration and it's set in, set in and around the themes of skateboarding. Um well, first off, um, what what brought about that film? Is that is that something you've written, or is it um, or, or is it or is it song? Like some, is it work for hire? Uh, well, it's actually a film that my wife wrote and directed. So my wife Elena Silverberg, she's also a filmmaker, and uh, this is something that she wrote. Um, it's uh, it does take place in the world of skateboarding. It's set in the nineties, and basically, it's about a, a girl who who's, uh, you know, looking to, to make some friends and looking to get into the world of skateboarding. She's new. She's a bit of a rookie herself. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a way for her to, to connect. And it's also, as we find out, you know, she's, uh, she's following through on a bit of a crush that she has on one of the girls in this kind of skateboarding uh, gang or skateboarding group that she uh, links up with. So it's, uh, it's a kind of a coming-of-age film and uh my wife wrote it and um pitched it to a uh, film competition that we have here in uh, in whistler um and she got a short film uh, fully funded so uh, i was lucky enough to to help uh, executive produce that with her and uh you know an amazing team uh and uh it's uh, it premiered at uh, whistler film festival last year and it's actually premiering uh tomorrow uh, here in Vancouver at the uh, Queer Film Festival. Uh, it's been nominated for a few awards as well, so extremely uh, proud of her, getting her, her stories and her work out there and happy to uh, you know have a small part in it. But uh, I can't say that I, I did too much on that film, really. It was, it was all her. <laughs> so, so that's actually going to premiere on the 16th of August. 
um, which unfortunately would be would have passed by by the time we get this edited, which is a shame. Um, but yeah, it's, it's you know from 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 what I read about the description on IMDb, it sounded very much like a character study, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, and I'm I'm just wondering if that's actually a recurring theme with a lot of the films you 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 like to do, um, as you've already said, um, the the inspirations, you, you, the directors and people that have inspired you actually do that. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely, I guess I've always been drawn to character. Uh, character-driven films and kind of character studies. I don't know if I mentioned it, but, uh, you know, Scorsese's Taxi Driver uh, was another one uh, when I was young that that really influenced me. And uh, just following this really intimate portrait, you know, we talked also about kind of popcorn movies and how you tend to follow, you know, a hundred characters and thinking of these disaster films where every two seconds you're in another city, uh, with another group of characters, you know, now what's the president doing? What's the what's the mayor doing? Um, I, I've always found myself drawn more to those in those more intimate stories, and where you're you're really drawn into the thought process of those characters, and the story um, really flows with them. You know, it's it's their decisions that uh, that progress that story along. Mm. for better or for worse and uh and yeah i still find uh, i'm drawn to those films uh, and re- another recent one um that i really loved was uh, nightcrawler um great film um again very kind of intense dark uh intimate character study um and uh yeah i guess i keep coming back to those films and maybe i'm influencing my wife a little bit i mean she has her own style she has her own voice as a filmmaker, but uh, but yeah, B side, um, and a couple of her other short films actually are are, are kind of uh, that in that same vein. So maybe a bit of that has rubbed off on her as well. <laughs> um, about the B side, uh, how, how challenging was it to um, actually? Um, I should imagine you would have had a. Uh, Quite, quite a lot of footage of uh, skateboarders skateboarding and stuff like that. How challenging was that to film? Uh, yeah, well, we had, uh, you know, initially, you know, Elena really wanted to cast um, actors who could skate or, or skaters who could act. It was important to her that they kind of had both of those skills and it wasn't just, uh, you know, check this out and then you cut to some stunt, um, you know, skater uh, just at their feet, you know, doing some crazy tricks. She wanted to feel more authentic uh, and more like we were kind of in this lived-in world. Um, but, uh, yeah, all the actors had experience skateboarding. Um, you, you know, she held traditional uh, kind of acting auditions, and she she held very physical skateboarding auditions as well. And uh, one of the leads in the film, um, Ariah Boyce, her... Uh, her father is actually a very well-known uh, professional skateboarder uh, here in Canada. He goes by the name of Sluggo Boyce. He's also a, a stunt performer in, in the film industry, but very well-known for his uh, for his skating career. So it was pretty cool to have you know his daughter, um, who's uh, you know an amazing skater herself uh, and uh, and an actress, um, be in the film and kind of bring a little bit of that uh, that. Uh, extra authenticity and that kind of family legacy as well and so Sluggo you know was was really generous being part of those auditions and coming on set as well and uh you know giving everybody a a bit of a confidence boost um and uh and yeah I mean skateboarding is not 
not really a world that, that I come from. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it was interesting to kind of be, uh, you know, immersed in that for, for the making of the film. And again, kind of go back in time um, to that 90s era when, uh, you know, I remember certainly in school that, uh, you know, skateboarding was was becoming such a phenomenon even then so I, I remember very cool. I remember back in the 70s when my brother got a skateboard <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think they only came out in the 70s because it was basing uh it was basing a riff off surfing wasn't it the uh that's the right <laughs> um and, and I've got a I've got another question um about Woodman for you um, and this one's actually mm-hmm. just popped into my head just now um you know one of the other aspects, aside from the visuals, the uh, the great acting and um, and um, and stuff like like that, was the I, I just love the soundtrack how it's all like gradually built and it's you know it starts <laughs> off quite you know edgy and spooky and just gradually builds and builds and builds. Who did that? Because that was awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm such a fan of the score as well. So my good friend Christopher Aruda, he's uh, he's a musician and. Uh, I think I might have been the first to kind of push him to score uh, a piece of uh, a piece of film, which was a short that I did back in uh, 2014. Um, and uh, you know, Chris and I have known each other for a long time. But uh, in making that film, um, you know, he just did such a phenomenal job with the soundtrack, and I just found it was so visceral and it really elevated. Um, you know, it really was in sync with, with the, you know, the work that I did, but it also really elevated it as music often can or good music can, uh, in film. And so, you know, I just didn't really want to work with anybody else. Um, you know, I did uh, three, uh, short films, um, in, uh, around that time, um, starting in 2014. Um, and, uh, Chris scored all three of those films and he was nominated for a couple of awards in the process. And then when I even just started writing Woodland, I knew that Chris was going to score it. And so he was one of the first people I shared the script with. Uh, and as I would kind of develop the materials, I'd keep sharing it with him and he would start writing, you know, he was writing music as I was writing the script and, uh, he would start sending me pieces. And then, you know, once we actually shot the film, I think he was the first person I would send, you know, rough edits to, and he would start, composing more and sending me pieces back that I could cut to. And so, um, it's, it was such an integral part of, of just, you know, editing the film and really putting it together, building it around these, these kind of music, uh, sequences. Um, and, you know, music evokes so much, uh, especially in kind of thrillers and, and horror films, and it becomes such a character unto itself. Um, and, uh, it was, uh, it was just so rewarding, um, you know, working with him and as those sequences would come together and the music would kind of get polished, um, I just found uh, it really took it to another level as far as that uh, playing up those themes of isolation, of the, uh, you know, kind of the the, the haunting nature of it, the, the ghosts, uh, you know, that are that are still living in, in this place. Um, and especially for those more tense and kind of thrilling uh, sequences, um, I, uh, it was just, I was overjoyed every time I got a new piece of music that I could, I could slot in. And, uh, you know, this was also the first time that I had ever done a full, uh, 5.1 stereo, uh, sound, uh, design and mix as well, which was so much fun. And so to have the music 
you know, be a part of that. And Chris was right there in the studio with us when we were doing that final mix and just feeling the power of that music mm-hmm. and how it, uh, you know, especially when we have sequences, like I said, with no dialogue. I think in some cases, you know, it's 10 minutes goes by with, with, with no dialogue at all. And so the music, um, you know, really helps to, uh, to, to carry those sequences and again, inject more of that emotion, more of that intensity. And, uh, I, I hope to release, uh, the soundtrack on its own. Actually, it's at some point here because <laughs> yeah. I'm just such a fan of it. That, that'd be awesome. Um, uh... So, Woodland, is it is it actually available now to buy on Amazon Prime uh, or, or rent? Um, I think it is, isn't it? It is, yeah. We're currently um, just available in North America, um, but we're coming soon to the UK. We're working on bringing the film to more territories, you know, all over the world uh, in the coming months, so, so stay tuned. But certainly if you're listening to this in North America, uh, you can rent the film on, uh, on iTunes, Apple TV, on Amazon Prime, Google Play, Xbox, PlayStation. Uh, we're on pretty much every digital platform. And we're also on um, uh, cable and satellite right now, uh, uh, pay TV. Um, so please uh, check out the film. You can go to uh, woodlandmovie.com, and we've got all links, direct links to all those platforms um, to make it easy for you. Um, but, yeah, hopefully soon coming to your listeners uh, in the U.K. as well. Cool. Um, have you got any other film projects um, in, in development at the moment? I mean, obviously, with, with COVID-19, it's going to set, set you guys back a bit. Um, I'm just wondering if there's anything that, that, that you're currently working on that, you, that you'd be able to talk about. Yeah, for context, anybody listening to this at a later date, we are in the middle of a pan- global pandemic right now. So it's, uh, it's put a bit of a wrench in our, our filmmaking plans. Um, it's an interesting time to be you know, coming out on VOD, um, and, uh, you know, people aren't able to go to theaters. Uh, so hopefully people do, uh, check it out a uh, bit of escapism, uh, for you get you out of the, away from the news headlines, uh, for, for, uh, 90 minutes. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely, um, developing a, a few projects right now. I'm in the middle of writing, uh, two new features actually. Um, I'm, I'm not sure when we'll, we'll be able to kind of move uh, forward in uh, pre-production on those. But for now, uh, you know, in addition to getting the film out there, definitely trying to work as much as I can to, to put the pieces together for, for the next one. So, um, yeah, I've got a feature film, which is uh, another psychological thriller, uh, which is uh, actually set in uh, Montreal mm-hmm. in, in the late 60s. Um, and that one is a... a very personal story. It's kind of comes from uh, a story about my parents uh, growing up in Montreal at that time. Um, and then I'm also writing kind of an adventure thriller, um, which is set in, uh, in South America and it's about uh, black market trophy hunting. So very different. Um, but uh, I would say both kind of in a kind of similar vein mm-hmm. as Woodland and also very, uh, much, uh, you know, character driven stories. Cool. Um, well, um, it's it's been great having you on the uh, on on the show, um, John. Um, I've really enjoyed speaking to you and really, really enjoyed talking about Woodland. Um, um, are there any other are there any other films you've 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 done that are out there at the moment that you'd like to give a quick plug to? Uh, well, we've got some short films uh, on YouTube, but uh, ultimately, you know, Woodland's my first feature, and it's the first one that we've got distributed, you know, so widely just in North America at the moment, but uh, we're available everywhere and uh, would love for, for people to check it out. 
definitely give us a rating on IMDb or, or wherever uh, you watched it, and feel free to uh, to message us. You know, send send your questions, send your comments. You can find us on Instagram uh, and Twitter. Both uh, the handle is just Woodland Movie, uh, and for me personally, uh, you can get at me on on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, my handle on both is just John Silverberg, J-O-N, Silver, B-E-R-G, all, all one word, and uh, would love to hear your thoughts on the film. Okay, well, John, thanks for speaking to us. Um, we've just been speaking to uh, John Silverberg, the uh, writer and director of um, Metsiding New Psychological um, um, Character Exploration Horror Movie called, called Woodland. Um, so you guys should check it out. Uh, thanks a lot for, for coming on, John. Thanks so much again for having me in. Thank you.